Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hungry Takes podcast live on the ColorCast app. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Hungry Takes. Matt, is it is a Thursday night. We're back. We're ready to go. What's going on? Yeah, man, absolutely. Back and better than ever. That's what I always say, Jim. Some pretty interesting topics tonight for, for all of our listeners out there. So I feel like it will be a really good conversation and a good show. But uh, with no further ado, man, let's jump right into it. Absolutely. I know one riveting topic that we have to hit at the outset is, of course, the news today that Cam Newton is returning to Charlotte, North Carolina with a reunion tour with the Carolina Panthers, the team that drafted him first overall back in 2011. I know you have a lot of opinions, I believe, on this signing. What is your take on Cam Newton back to Carolina? The good old-fashioned Scam Newton going back to his hometown there, North Carolina. Not his real hometown, but you get the point, where he started this show. Here's the deal. It's two big questions for me. One, does Cam Newton have it? And the last time we saw Cam Newton, the answer is no, he doesn't have it anymore. And he is arguably one of the athletes that I feel like COVID uh, hurt them the most. The last time we really saw Cam Newton, he was diagnosed with COVID. He never came back and played the same. I want to talk about week three or four last season. And so the first thing is, and Cam Newton still played a high level. And the second thing is going back to the place that released you two years ago or a year ago makes me think that if it doesn't out, we're going to see him retire probably. Yeah, I could certainly see that. One compelling component to me about the story is that his former coach, of course, Ron Rivera, is no longer in Charlotte. He's, of course, now the coach in Washington. And so I'm not completely sure what Matt Rule and Joe Brady think about Cam Newton. You know, you don't think about – um, Cam Newton fitting the prototypical offensive style of Joe Brady, as you know very well, is an LSU fan. Like I feel like P.J. Walker and Sam Darnold definitely uh, fit that mold well. So how do you think Cam Newton can transition into this offense? Yeah, I, I, you know, if P.J. Walker can't do it, not saying that he's this great football player, but if he's not effective in Carolina – it makes you ask whether or not Cam Newton will be effective. You know, my only thought is he does fit Joe Brady a little bit on the offensive kind of scheme in that it gives him that run-pass option, right? And that's kind of what made uh, Joe Burrow so deadly at LSU and even really at Cincinnati. The difference is Joe Burrow has an extremely accurate arm, and Cam Newton, although has a strong arm, a very strong arm, actually – like a cannon as an arm he's not very accurate and so it's interesting how that'll work uh but otherwise joe yeah the, the saddest part to me is that sam darnold didn't work out because you know at the beginning of this season he came out four and oh and i thought oh my gosh it was the jets it wasn't sam darnold and then here we are now we're on to the third quarterback and and we're bringing cam newton back Right, right. And so we'll see what happens with the Cam Newton situation. It's definitely compelling to see him going back to Carolina. We'll see if he can lead them to a playoff run. Regardless, he's going to get a pretty nice lucrative check for just a half a season. I think it's a guaranteed $4.5 million. Which is more than he made uh, in, in New England, to be honest with you, for uh, for a whole season. I think he's a million-dollar deal for New England 
because he just wanted to reestablish himself. So, you know, if you can't be a hero on the field, you know what I like to say, at least be a hero at the bank. And so at least he'll get that. Well, you mentioned reestablishing yourself, and that is what Odell Beckham Jr. is trying to do now in L.A. with the Rams. Saw news today that he has signed, kind of surprisingly to me, with the L.A. Rams. He will join forces, of course, with Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, um, Van Jefferson, that high-octane offense. Exactly. How do you think the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. will impact the Rams' offense? Yeah, so, Joe, two parts of this conversation. And a little bit later in the show, I'm going to update everyone on the second part. But let's primarily focus on the Rams here. I think that, you know, this wasn't really the right move for the Rams. I don't think you need OBJ. And arguably, OBJ, and I'm not a person that thinks on OBJ, but arguably, where he when he goes places, he has a distraction than a success, right? And, and you can look back and say that LBJ really is one play. He is that one catch against the Dallas Cowboys. And then otherwise, he has been ineffective and really not even that productive, especially after his ankle injury. So if I were the Rams, I would keep going with what got you there. Maybe the big concern is the Cooper Cup usage rate, because if Cooper Cup gets hurt, then that is like Matt Stafford's one and only target. So you bring in OBJ. But I'm just not necessarily a fan of I think there are better spots for OBJ. And quite frankly, I just don't think the Rams needed it per se. Right. I think all of those points are very well taken. And I would also add to the conversation that the narrative I kept hearing this entire week with the speculation about destination spots for OBJ, I kept hearing Kansas City, Green Bay, New Orleans. To me, those situations made a lot more sense than kind of, you know, changing something that's not broke, you know, why try to fix it with the Rams offense? And I feel like this could actually, to your point, have more negative repercussions and cause more of a distraction. You know, you've got a lot of um, alpha, um, you know, personalities now in that locker room. Yeah, I'm definitely not in the OBJ is washed category. I think OBJ can be an impactful player, and I actually think he's still in the prime of his career. What I would say is, he has not been productive recently, right, besides that one magical catch that made him. And the second thing I'd say is you really have to question if Baker Mayfield was the, the issue in at the Browns organization. Even one of our last shows, I think maybe two or three shows ago, I said that Baker Mayfield is literally the eighth best quarterback in the AFC. So it makes me think that Baker Mayfield is a problem, not OBJ. But I think for this conversation specifically, I just don't know if OBJ fits the Rams. I feel like there are other places, which I will get into later, that I think fits OBJ more than where he ended up. Although, I will tell you that with Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and OBJ and Von Miller and uh, uh, who's who's the big pass rusher? Uh, I'm I'm leaving out all of a sudden. Oh, Aaron Donald. Uh, Aaron Donald, I'm sure the ticket prices for Rams games have gone through the roof as of 3 p.m. this afternoon. Well, what everybody in L.A. is, of course, rooting for is the spectacle that would be an L.A.-only Super Bowl with the Chargers and the Rams in L.A. I mean, that would just be unbelievable television. Could very well happen this year with kind of what's going on, um, especially the unpredictable nature of the AFC Conference and the talent-stocked Rams locker room 
One more question I want to ask you about the Rams before we move on. What was your opinion of their shocking loss to the Titans on Sunday night football with the Titans coming off the, of course, huge injury loss to uh, Derrick Henry? Yeah, so I didn't get to watch the game. I would say, you know, if they lost without uh, lost to the Titans without Derrick Henry, they're in deep trouble, right? But here's the other thing people forget. Matthew Stafford is probably, and I know a lot of people are going to hate me for this, right? Hate me now, believe me later. Matthew Stafford is probably one of the most overrated players in NFL history. He is a number one draft pick that's never really succeeded, but it's always been enveloped in the shroud that, oh, he plays for the Detroit Lions. So what's the excuse going to be now when it's Cooper Cup, you have an amazing defense, you got OBJ, Robert Woods. I mean, everything you need, you have running backs, and yet you still don't get the job done. And so I feel like the loss to the Titans uh, kind of illustrates the danger of a Matthew Stafford quarterback team. Yeah, no, it very well uh, does present that danger. He made a lot of mistakes in that game, kind of gave the Titans a short fields to work with. You really didn't see a lot of passing yardage from Ryan Tannehill. Speaking of the Titans, we'll, of course, see them against our team, the New Orleans Saints. Uh, this Sunday, that will be interesting to see how the Saints fare um, against the Titans as the Saints try to bounce back from their um, inexplicable loss to the Falcons this past weekend. Um, Matt, you teased, of course, the point about some other destinations that you think would have been better for OBJ. Um, could you maybe kind of uh, give us some uh, perspective on that? Yeah, so, you know, I'll kind of go ahead and, and let the cat out of the bag, Joe. I was in a pickle. Okay, I was in a pickle, and I got myself there. And it, you know, I'll explain the situation. The situation's like this. Uh, casters out there with the Fudge and Meat podcast, they, they, we see this agreement, this deal, that eventually, you know, if, if Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl this year, and I would have to wear a jersey and donate to a Green Bay charity and then have a sign that said Aaron Rodgers is like my hero, right, and, and post it on social media. Well, as soon as I heard last Wednesday that OBJ, that all of this fallout was happening in the Browns organization, my first and only thought was, oh my God, I'm in a, like, this is bad. Green Bay is six and one. OBJ is on the chopping block in the AFC. Naturally, where is he going to go? There's only about three spots. There's Green, Green Bay and Trash Rogers, who needs another uh, wide receiver doesn't have to throw it to Devontae Adams 30 times a game. There's Las Vegas Raiders who just lost their wide receiver due to a very unfortunate series of events. And then the only other place, really, is with Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. And you say, why is that, Matt? Well, Tom Brady and OBJ have an absolute love affair with each other. And <laughs> even if it sounds ridiculous that they would bring OBJ in, like the only person that Tom Brady openly loves is OBJ. The only other destination would be New Orleans. And to me, Joe, I would love your feedback here, is New Orleans made a mistake. The Browns put OBJ on the chopping block. They waived him. They got nothing for him. Why not move on from Michael Thomas, who clearly doesn't want to play in New Orleans, and bring OBJ to New Orleans instead? And my thought there is the New Orleans Saints hate LSU football players. You know, Joe, I'll wrap it up and just say, really scared last Wednesday because my first thought was, oh my gosh, Aaron Rodgers is about to get OBJ. 
and I'm going to be wearing a Rodgers jersey, holding a sign, professing my love for Aaron Rodgers. I'll leave it at that. Well, I want to come back to that pickle that you've apparently sliced at this point and is no longer a concern for you, fortunately, from your standpoint. But first and foremost, you, of course, alluded to my thoughts on the Saints not um, going after OBJ. I completely concur with that analysis. I mean, I've been really frustrated with the lack of the Saints targeting wide receivers in the draft the last two or three years and or free agency, with the exception of Emmanuel Sanders, who they really didn't even use properly last year when he was on the team. So I think it would have been an absolute home run for the Saints to bring in OBJ. Instead, they're going to be working kind of with with an um, underperforming wide receiver core the rest of the season. But back to that pickle, though, Matt. Um, So now you're kind of out of the woods now. Isn't that correct? So I feel better, right? Things really took a turn for the best when uh, Green Bay, of course, loses with their outstanding quarterback, Jordan Love, right? So that was really nice to see that they lost in Kansas City because, you know, the side bet is that uh, Green Bay will only win four more games. And so, you know, the pl- I love when a good plan comes together, so I love seeing them lose. And it's just quite unfair because two weeks ago, oh, yeah, about they lost to the Arizona Cardinals or they beat the Arizona Cardinals, I'm sorry, and that should have been a loss, right? That was a very unfortunate last play of the game. And so I'm almost 2-0 and with Green Bay losing. However, they did beat the Cardinals. But, yes, so I was in a pickle. I'm, I feel better about it now, and especially when Green Bay lost. I love it. It's going to work. Just wait. So you feel better. You feel immensely confident, it sounds. So I, I, I've been stressing it for the last week, and as soon as I saw the news on ESPN, I was like, that's the worst move ever for the Rams. However, that's the best move for me because the other alternative, Aaron Rodgers, or like I call him, Jesus Rodgers, throwing to OB. Well, definitely, you know, good news from your perspective. But, of course, you know, Matt, remember that the bet does not run out or expire this season. So OBJ could at some point down the road be Aaron Rodgers' teammate. Wow. Wait, so I'm in this thing for multiple seasons? Did I – where's my attorney? Do I, do I not? Do we not have an attorney on the staff, Joe? Matt, this has been referenced in previous episodes. Actually, on an episode back in October, I told you point blank that there is no expiration date on this bet. It does not say Aaron Rodgers wins a Super Bowl in 2021 or 2022. It says Aaron Rodgers wins a Super Bowl, and I'm interpreting that to mean into perpetuity. Wow. So, okay, first thing, I need to get a lawyer. Second thing, Hungry Takes the Podcast, we got to our budget, Joe, because we need a lawyer on staff. Clearly, you are not. So we got to get some money coming in. We need sponsorships because we got to get a lawyer on the payroll. Well, certainly, uh, we'll see if that is in the the cards for the budget. Um, we had a question from uh, our friend Lily, of course, who holds the bet with you with um the Fudge and Meat podcast. Hold on, thought it was over under four more wins pre-Cardinals loss. Uh, what, what, what is your response to that, Matt? Yes, that's correct. So they've, they've already got one win. That was the Cardinals, which to me is just unfair because, you know, nine and a half out of ten times, Kyler Murray throws a touchdown there or runs it in for a win. He was hurt. So, yes, it's, it's over four more wins pre-Cardinals. So they've already got one win. And then the other question, Joe, is when will Rodgers be back on the field 
you know, who knows? It's going to it's going to be whenever he is healthy from COVID. The question is, is he having any COVID symptoms? And will that alter his play on the field? We have seen numerous athletes, such as Cam Newton, got COVID and have not come back 100%. Another one, uh, Russell Westbrook has never really looked the same since he got COVID uh, back at the early stages of 2020. No, that's definitely a good point. And we'll see how Aaron Rodgers comes back, um, you know, in the long run the rest of this season. Shout out, you know, to all of our listeners. Uh, thank you so much for the comment. Shout out to Lily specifically. Really appreciate all the support. You are listening to the show tonight. Uh, Matt, we, of course, referenced you being in a pickle. And with this show being called Hungry Takes, I'd be remiss if we did not, of course, have our weekly food discussion in the chat. And Matt, uh, the topic for tonight, I think, is just perfect, um, perfect segue to talk about pickles and your thoughts on pickles. I know a lot of people like pickles on their hamburgers, cheeseburgers. Uh, some people eat just you know, plain pickles. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on pickles? Yeah, Joe, and let me just remind everybody, because I feel like we don't remind people enough. We call this podcast Hungry Takes because me and you have a firm belief that food and sports goes hand in hand. From the deep south where tailgating and food parties with sports and football, baseball, it happens all the time. And so we call this podcast the Hungry Takes because we like to marry food and sports together. But, Joe, on the conversation of pickle, two real quick thoughts. One, I love Jimmy John's because you can get a pickle to go with your sandwich. And number two, generally, I love pickles as long as they are room temperature. When they're cold in the fridge, that's when I turn them down. Okay. I'm going to have quite the hot slash hungry take here. I'm probably going to baffle some of our listeners, but I am pretty much an anti-pickle person. I don't like pickles. Not a big fan of sour foods like that. Like never want them on my burger. Um, every one, every once in a while I can eat, you know, like the appetizers you can get in the South, the uh, fried dill pickles. I can eat that. Okay. But generally I'm, I'm anti-pickle. Wow, Joe. Like, I don't know what to say. That's un-American. That's like saying that you hate macaroni and cheese, you hate pickles and that you like the Green Bay Packers. Like that's as un-American as it can be, man. Is it more controversial than your takes on Aaron Rodgers? My, first off, let's be clear here. My takes on Aaron Rodgers are not controversial at all. The only thing controversial is the contract that I got hijinked, hoodwinked into uh, signing uh, because my lawyer did not advise me quickly. Did you sign that contract, though? I I the fifth. Because, I mean, if there's some coercion or something, some undue influence I don't know about, you know, definitely fill me in on that. I, I plead the fit. I feel like for a trial, I plead the fit. Okay. Well, definitely a safe response there. So that is our hungry take for tonight, talking about pickles. Hope everybody enjoyed that segment. So, Matt, let's transition into some other sports topics. And I want to say one thing about college football this week. You know, with us being in Mississippi, uh, definitely excited to see Ole Miss and Texas A&M getting the college game day game. It's going to be the ESPN a college game day studio show. Um, what are your thoughts on that matchup and college game day back in Oxford, Mississippi? I think it'll be a good one, Joe. I know you're excited to see it. It's an 11 12 matchup, right? So I know it'll be a good game. Really, the only thought there is hard to be kind of broken for Ole Miss since moving to, to Mississippi. Uh, 
become a fan of Ole Miss and Mississippi State uh, a little bit. I really thought this year and this was, quite frankly, could have round the tables the way that they looked uh, from the from the outset. And so I'm a little shocked how the season's played out for them. But, but overall, I'm excited to see Ole Miss kind of get that status and game day at the, uh, at, the, at the school. Yeah, I'm, I find it to be an intriguing storyline, an intriguing matchup. Um, only the second time, of course, that game day has ventured to Oxford. I was there um, the first time seven years ago when they played Alabama. Katy Perry was there. You know, that was just quite um, the rock star atmosphere. Now with Lane Kiffin as the head coach at Ole Miss, definitely, you know, expect a lot of uh, fireworks. And so I'm interested to also see Matt Corral going up against uh, that Texas A&M defense that's been playing really well, of course, knocked off both. Alabama and Auburn but the last question I wanted to ask you kind of in the realm of talking about college football in college game day I wanted to ask you what is your thought on the state of the programming for college game day like college game day is the morning college football show that everybody watches do you think that it's at the same level that it was say five or ten years ago I'm gonna say no I had to think about this for a little because you know I feel like it lost steam during the COVID era, and I'm not really sure why that is. Like, I can't necessarily put my finger on, you know, what it is now compared to what it was pre-2020, at least in my eyes. I would still say that College Game Day is the premier college football preview show. I mean, I think, like, if you're tuning into one, it's going to be College Game Day. I just don't have the same to tune into it like I did pre-COVID. And like I said, I don't know why. My only gripe with college game day is just the length of it, right? I feel like it runs too long on Saturday mornings. Maybe it shouldn't start so early, and, and maybe it only lasts an hour instead of the two or, or three hours that it lasts. Right. I think it's up to three hours now. I think it's 8 to 11 o'clock Central Time. And I think that when you look at college game day, it's more of the pageantry of the sport, you know, the storylines within the game. Whereas I feel like if you tune into Fox's pregame show, Big Noon Kickoff, you're going to get more analysis with the X's and O's. You've got Reggie Bush. You've got Matt Leiner, Brady Quinn, Bob Stoops. In many ways, a lot of people prefer that show, I believe, and also because it's more um, widespread as far as uh, viewership with it being on network uh, television on Fox compared to uh, cable. Yeah, and, and I'll say this. I really like there's a pretty solid bit towards the SEC when it comes to college game day, and if not the SEC, the Big Ten, okay? So I feel like you don't see them go to many schools outside of that. I'm not saying that they don't. One or two times a year, they'll go to the Big 12 or the ACC, or, but primarily they stay in that SEC, you know, game uh, or zone, I guess because they're typically the most important games, right? But I feel like college it's kind of moved past being a show. It's more of an award, right? So what game is going to be certified by college game day, right? That's kind of the award for the weekend. That's the certifiably best college game of the week. Okay. Um, one last kind of fun question I just thought of uh, spontaneously. If there was going to be like a pickup flag football game against the uh, crew for college game day, on ESPN versus uh, the Big Noon Kickoff crew. And, of course, I mentioned Reggie Bush, Matt Leinert, Brady Quinn, Bob Stoops against Desmond Howard, Kirk Curbstreet, David Pollock. Who would win that hypothetical uh, flag football game? 
anybody running with Reggie Bush. I say this all the time, Joe. The two best football players I've ever seen in my life are Reggie Bush and and, and I know the younger generation may trip off about that, and the older generation may trip as well. But if you go back and watch Reggie Bush highlights and can see just what Tim Tebow did, to me, there, there's no arguing. Those are the two football players of all time. I always side with Reggie Bush. Okay, definitely cannot go wrong with him. Always loved, you know, following his career. Loved the fact that he played for our New Orleans Saints for several years. So, Matt, we've talked a lot about football and other topics. I want to, in kind of our closing minutes, talk some basketball. And let's start with uh, some NBA coverage. Um, one story I feel like that everybody's been following in NBA circles is, of course, the performance of the Golden State Warriors kind of returning to their dominance from a couple of years ago uh, with the Splash Brothers and Kevin Durant. Now they've got this version of the team with Steph Curry, with the reunion of Andre Iguodala, Jordan Poole is playing spectacular in his second year as a starter. Uh, what has been your kind of impression on the Warriors? So I, a lot of good stuff out there, right? And the first thing that hits me is it's funny how some of these guys that move maneuver around teams, they always get results. You insert Andre Iguodala, and all of a sudden they're back good again, right? No matter where AI plays, he, he always manages to be on a quote-unquote good team, right? And so to me, he's the X factor, kind of like Robert Ory was always a quality piece to have on your franchise, okay? I think the good thing about Golden Warriors is they have a lot left to go with, right? Clay Thompson's got to come back. James Wiseman's got to come back. I mean, there's there's still a lot of good pieces to come back on this team to produce results. However, Joe, what I would say right now is that Golden State is perpetrating insurance fraud. They are 10 and 1, okay? But don't believe what you're seeing. Look at who they've actually played this year, and I'll read a few off, right, in these first 11 games. And it goes Los Angeles Lakers, they're a 7 seed. LA Clippers, a 5 seed. Sacramento's a 9 or 10, 8, 9, 10. Oklahoma City's 8, 9, 10. Memphis, 8, 9, 10. Oklahoma City again. Charlotte's an 8 seed. New Orleans is the worst team in the league. Houston's like the second worst team in the league. Atlanta's like the third worst team. And Minnesota's also down there as the worst. So they're perpetrating insurance uh, fraud right now. They are winning. They are 10 and 1, but they're playing really bad. We won't find out who the Golden State Warriors are until basically Thanksgiving and then all the way through December when they start to play Phoenix and Boston, uh, New York and Denver, Utah, Miami, those guys. Well, do you feel like they're about to be exposed in their Friday night matchup against the Chicago Bulls, who of course come in as the second best team in the Eastern Conference with an eight and three record? I, I love Chicago, right? I, I read an article said, is Chicago back? And the answer is, I don't know if they're back, quote unquote, but they got some young gunners and they can ball. So, yeah, I think I think we may see them exposed. Steph Curry pull them through it, but I doubt it. DeMar DeRozan's there, Lonzo Ball, both good at defense. Alex Caruso's a baller, so I tend to think they will probably lose the Bulls. Okay. All right, we got about two and a half minutes to go, so just kind of a rapid fire, a couple of questions in the basketball sphere. One final NBA question. Are there any other NBA storylines right now, Matt, that you're closely following? 
Not nothing in particular, Joe. Do you have anything on top of mind uh, that you're watching? But the big thing I'm watching is, of course, the Brooklyn Nets and the Utah Jazz are two intriguing teams. I would also throw in the Clippers. And the reason I say that is I feel like there's pressure on all three of those franchises to be in win-now mode. I'm also interested to see how the Bucks do as the defending champions, but I don't feel like they have the same pressure level, of course, since they got over the hump and won a title in 2021. Yeah, the only thing I'm paying attention to really – uh, besides interesting enough, the Bucks. I am watching that because I think it's funny now that you see Steph Curry come back and we're getting back to the threes all the time. Now you see the Bucks kind of fall off because I've always said they look play in the three-point style play are kind of antithetical. Um, the other one's the Lakers, right? I don't think the Lakers are going to work out, and it seems to be proving itself true at this point. Yes, I think that's very well the case um, given the age and health, unfortunately, of that roster. So, Matt, um, finally on basketball, the college basketball season has tipped off this week. I want to talk about, you know, right now um, what we're seeing out of Duke specifically um, with Coach K's last farewell tour. Um, what do you think are Duke's uh, chances to make it to a Final Four this year? Yeah, I mean, you always throw Duke into a Final Four or at least the Elite Eight. I'm not going to say Coach K rides out with a championship. I just don't think that's the truth. Uh, but I do think you can always count Duke into the Final Four Elite Eight, kind of like a Michigan State or even a UNC, even though they've been down a few years. Uh, but, Joe, go ahead. Give us your thoughts, man. I know you follow college basketball way more closely than I do. Yeah, so I was interested, you know, with the uh, early tournament games with the Champions Classic we saw on Tuesday night. We, of course, saw uh, Michigan State and Kansas play. Kansas looked pretty good in that game. They've got Remy Martin, the uh, high-profile transfer from Arizona State, who's been very impactful, and some other uh, star-studded players for Bill Self. kind of feel like Kansas is going to return to form in the Big 12 Conference this season, more than likely. Kentucky and Duke, of course, also played on uh, – Tuesday night, speaking of Coach